welcome to episode 27 of Rural Matters, the leading podcast on rural education, health, and business in the United States. We're excited to have you tune in today. I'm Michelle Rathman, and when I'm not hosting Rural Matters, you can find me working in rural community hospitals, helping health leaders and their teams improve culture, communication, quality, and stakeholder engagement. Over the past 20 years, I have visited rural communities in just about every region of the country, and I'm always inspired by the people I meet and the passion they have for their work, their friends, families, and communities. Now, before I welcome today's amazing guest, just a reminder that you can listen to Rural Matters on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. We encourage you to subscribe and receive new episodes automatically. Also, we welcome your feedback. So if you've got ideas for an upcoming podcast, a question about an episode, or you just want to chat, send us an email at ruralmatterspodcast at gmail. Now I'd like to introduce you to today's very special guest, Mr. Brian Noyes, the founder and baker-in-chief of Red Truck Bakery. The story of the origins of Red Truck and his journey to its current outrageously successful status is both fascinating and inspiring. You'll hear about that in just a few moments, but first, I want to mention that he has a new cookbook coming out on October 23rd, appropriately entitled The Red Truck Bakery Cookbook, published by Clarkson, Potter, and Penguin. And I want to share with our listeners just a few of the book's advanced reviews. First, from the New York Times. If Michelin Guide rated bakeries the way it rates restaurants, Red Truck would be at the top. Exceptional. Worth the journey. The Washington Post says, whatever Brian Noyce bakes tastes so familiar, yet so surprising that I can never decide whether to tell my friends or hoard every bite myself. Now I can learn his tips and tricks and turn out my own crave-worthy treats. Skillet cornbread with pimento cheese frosting, here I come. From Publishers Weekly, they rave. Throughout the inspirational book, Brian recalls his journey from a small-town baker to national attention via coverage in Esquire, Southern Living, and Oprah. Noise's enthusiasm for baking is infectious, and this volume will prove to be one that bakers turn to time again. And finally, there's this. I like pie. That's not a state secret. I can confirm that Red Truck Bakery makes some darn good pie. And that comes from President Barack Obama. So, this is a big deal for me to have an uh, opportunity to talk with you, Brian. Welcome to Rural Matters, and let's get started with the conversation. All right. Hi there. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. So first of all, so your background and your journey are really amazing, but before we get into how you ended up with a bakery in rural Virginia, let's begin uh, with the conversation about uh, where your culinary background, non-culinary background started. You weren't always a baker. No, I was uh, uh, serving as the art director of the Washington Post and Smithsonian Magazine and Preservation Magazines, among other publications. And I've been doing that for 30-something years. And when I hit 50, I thought if I ever was going to follow my passion to launch my own little food joint in the middle of nowhere, I better think about it now. And so um, I went through uh, schooling at the uh, Culinary Institute of America, the other CIA up in New York, and then mm-hmm. um, a really great um, cooking school just outside of D.C., L'Académie des Cuisines. Uh, I went several years there and um, then um, started out of my farmhouse uh, selling baked goods out of an old red truck that I had bought from Tommy Hilfiger, and it was at the um, 
a country store out near my farm, which is about an hour west of D.C., and the New York Times got a hold of what we were doing, wrote a, included us in a little promotional or um, roundup at Christmas one year, and um, my fledgling website hits went from two dozen in one day to 57,000. So uh, I kind of figured I'd better think of seriously about making the move, and I did. I, I read that. That's pretty fascinating. For any entrepreneur, it could be incredibly overwhelming and tank you or be your launch pad for success. And obviously yours is the latter. I, I did read um, a lot of the material that was sent over and I was fascinated to learn that kind of your transition or maybe your interest in culinary actually was inspired maybe by a tuna sandwich. So could you tell us that story and how that came to be? Well, um, my earliest days of working for publications uh, was at the Newport Ensign. It was a weekly newspaper in Orange County, California. I'm a fifth-generation Californian, and uh, I was right out of uh, school. And uh, we did a feature on one of our most famous local residents, and that was John Wayne, who had a huge house and a huge boat in one of the islands just a couple blocks from uh, where the newspaper was. Um, I went over with an editor. <clears throat> we borrowed uh, a bunch of pictures off the wall from his housekeeper, took them back to the newspaper. This is the old days where nothing was digital, so we had to take them out of the frames, have them uh, recopied, have them reframed. And once the story ran, I uh, made an appointment with the uh, housekeeper to return the photos. And I was a teenager. I had a big, heavy box full of photos in my hand. I went up to the door, kicked on it a couple times because I couldn't knock on it. And <laughs> yes. The housekeeper didn't answer, but John Wayne did, scowling at me, <laughs> wondering who's this guy beating on the door. And he caught on. I handed him the, uh, the photos, thanked him. And even though I had just eaten, he asked me, uh, you want a tuna sandwich? And I said, yes. If John Wayne asked if you want a tuna sandwich, you say yes. <laughs> so that, you know, 40 years later, I can kind of tell the story. But um, that kind of got me going on realizing that there are new rules to food. And he showed me how to make his version of tuna sandwich. And he ended up by crushing a fistful of potato chips into the top of the tuna filling before he capped it off with a slice of wheat toast. And uh, I just realized there there's no rules at all. So that kind of got me on the right track to eventually do my own thing years and years later. And that is how you still eat your tuna sandwiches today, I take it. I do. If I, <laughs> only I can convince customers to, to smash those potato chips on top. But we do keep bags handy nearby. And anybody that knows the story goes for it. Well, that that will be my new favorite. Uh, so your bakery now ships, you know, all nationally. Your website is phenomenal. I've taken a look. Uh, I'm, I'm curious if you could just tell our listeners how you came to be Red Truck. If You know, I'm always curious as an entrepreneur of 30 years myself, um, how people come up with the name of their company. How was your company named Red Truck? Kind of right after 9-11, I thought, I want a little place out in the country that feels a little comfortable and a little safe for, mm -hmm. for weekend getaways. And uh, so my buddy Dwight and I bought a little farmhouse uh, in Orlean, 
in the county of Fauquier, about uh, one hour west. And ever the art director, I thought, oh, this, this thing's so cute. It needs a little farm truck. And uh, I wanted an old one. I kind of wanted a red one. And I went online and searched uh, out the sales. And there was this auto sports company in New York that had a little bulletin board of what was available, like a little clearinghouse. And uh, I became interested in this 1954 Ford F100 red pickup. And uh, they turned me over to the seller. And uh, as I mentioned, it turned out to be fashion designer Tommy Hilfiger. Oh, my goodness. And um, so he sent it on down after I bought it and uh, sat at the farmhouse. I baked out of the farmhouse on weekends, carried fresh pies, granola, some breads to a couple local country stores nearby. And, you know, they all got pretty interested pretty quick. And, and soon I'd be showing up in this old red truck and there'd already be a crowd assembled waiting for the food. So it just kind of became known as the Red Truck Bakery. But um, once the New York Times piece hit, um, I had registered that as our name. And uh, that's pretty much it. A wonderful signature. So, you know, I, I also read that, um, you know, clearly you you weren't from that area and, and rural wasn't, it doesn't seem to be, and correct me if I'm wrong, it wasn't your original roots. But you you did focus on Marshall, but you thought maybe it was a bit too sleepy. And tell me a little bit about the Marshall community today and what makes it so special for you and your business. Yeah, that's a good story. After that New York Times piece came out and I uh, gave notice of my job, I was at Smithsonian Magazine at that point. Um, I started looking around at some country stores or something. I, I had a history in historic preservation. I was the art director of Preservation Magazine for the National Trust. And uh, I knew better than locating in a strip center next to a shoe store or a liquor store. I wanted something, a character out in the boonies, freestanding, and uh, with, with just lots of charm. And and I, I kept finding locations, old stores, old gas stations out, very rural, and uh, just got a little nervous that it was a little too far flung. So I searched out our um, our county seat of Warrington, Virginia, um, to, especially the old town area. There, right next to the courthouse was this old 1921 SO service station that um, had long since quit pumping gas and it lately had been a moving company headquarters and uh, some kind of storage area. And it, it just had tons of charm and, and it just kind of clicked like red truck, old gas station. Mm. Uh, I signed a lease. I, uh, our first line of coffee was premium, high octane and unleaded. It all kind of worked. Um, and we quickly outgrew that. Um, it's, it's a sweet place. We still have it. It's still our original location. Um, but we shipping kicked in. I was sending, you know, at that point, hundreds of things for the holidays nationwide. And I had to kick the uh, bakers off the stainless steel tables in the kitchen so that we could box up everything they had made earlier and get it out front by the time the UPS guy showed up. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I knew it was time for something new, uh, much larger, if we wanted to grow shipping. Um, I had originally looked at the town of Marshall, just north of Orlean, where, where my farmhouse is. And uh, it was pretty sleepy. There wasn't much going on. The uh, 
there was a family-owned um, IGA grocery store there, and that was about it. Uh, and at that point, uh, when we were looking for something new, uh, the county supervisor came in and wanted to help me out, and his area was um, in included some of uh, Marshall, and he tried to convince me again that this might be a good place to look. So I went up there. The family-run grocery store had just closed. There wasn't much going on. Um, it was even sleepier, but I kind of fell in love with two adjoining historic mercantile buildings. One used to be a uh, the Marshall Pharmacy back from probably 1910 uh, with a Masonic Lodge upstairs, and there was kind of this um, sweet shop next door that I think had a little secret tavern uh, hidden in the back. Um, these were vacant now. Uh, they were now conjoined. It was a, the last incarnation was a kind of a um, ashtray bar cafe that even had off track betting machines lined up along one wall. Wow. Um, mm. Such a fabulous nuance to the story. You know, I, I want to ask you because I, I work in so many rural communities where their main streets are boarding up their shops and community members aren't sticking around as a result of it. So I'm curious if you could. Talk to us a little bit about what your presence and um, you preserving some of the more historical past and being a really high-end contributing uh, business owner to the community. What has it done for the community spirit? Once we opened the, the store, and, and I didn't know what kind of reaction there'd be. I mean, there were a few kids riding by on bikes while we were renovating. There wasn't any foot traffic, and I was a little nervous. Uh, we threw open the doors. We're a mile off of I-66, the direct route into D.C. We put up some of those food dis-exit signs with the words Red Truck Rural Bakery on it. And it just mm -hmm. brought in so many people. Um, folks came down from neighboring towns. There's a lot of million-dollar, multi-million-dollar um, horse farms and wineries around. So there's good money kind of tucked away. And I asked this woman in line on our opening day why she was here, only because I was incredulous that there was a line out the door. And she says, we need a place to go. We drop the kids off at school. We go to the post office and we need that third place where we can just sit down and, and chill. And you're it, she said. <laughs> Things just took off. You know, eventually uh, a group of tattooed hipsters that opened up a butcher shop, the whole ox across the street, um, a husband and wife. A couple friends of ours opened up a farm-to-table restaurant, Field in Maine, right across the road. Um, I was a little nervous when a large organic market from Middleburg, the next town up, saw what was happening in Marshall, and they decided they wanted some of the action. So they relocated right next door to us in a vacant bank building. Uh, they also were a butcher shop, had a restaurant, and darn it, they even had uh, a bakery in it. So all three of us. Business owners were a little nervous, and on opening day, it just proved the old adage that a rising tide lifts all boats, and it was our busiest day ever. It brought in so many people, and they all come to us after they shop there. They go to the to Field of Maine and the butcher shop across the street, and so it just it just caught on on the street. And now, you know, there's talk about putting in the second stoplight in town. There's a lot of pedestrian traffic. Uh, parking is getting to be a problem. And uh, 
I love it. That's a dream come true for a rural community facing, you know, significant decline in their economy. And so we're in my world, um, the hospitals are typically the largest employer in the community. And um, then tourism is second. And in some areas, I find that in rural communities, tourism is there's a bit of resentment for for locals because of, you know, kind of the new tolerance of traffic and so forth. Have you found that at all to be the, the case? How do you uh, interact with the local population, uh, just other, uh, you know, your your local uh, community leaders, for example, how have they embraced this? And um, do they really understand? Um, and if you could share a little bit about their sentiment about the how you're you're adding to the local economy. And I know that you are very supportive of, uh, of local um, products and sources. So if you could talk a little bit about how you source your products and the importance of of uh, maintaining those local relationships. There's always going to be some kind of grumbling. A lot of people, especially the old entrenched folks, not old as in age, but just the ones that have been there a while, mm-hmm. they, don't, no, they don't like to see change. And um, But we're really blessed with some incredibly great coffee. <laughs> so that brings them in. I work really hard on, on the taste of the coffee, and there's nothing like it around. And... I think it sold people. And then, you know, we've got great pastries and muffins and pies. And um, it's it's a comfy place to just hang out. And people do that. So, you know, there's grumblings about the traffic, but it's it's all of us doing the traffic. It's, it's kind of a cut through if you don't want to be on the freeway. It used to be the route when there wasn't a freeway. And, um, you know, it's, it's busier than ever. But you know, it is what it is. And, and VDOT, our, our state transportation organization, is um, working on some some st- street and traffic calming measures. And then there's talk of new sidewalks and brick sidewalks and planters. So the place is going to look great. And um, I think we're all happy about that. A tremendous community benefit. We're going to take a really quick break. And when we come back, I do want to talk about your cookbook and a few of your stories of your uh, celebrity uh, relationships and some of the great things that have happened to you. Um, But first, I just want to remind everybody that you can listen to Rural Matters on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and again, wherever you get your podcast. And remember, we really do encourage you to subscribe and receive new episodes automatically. We love to get listener feedback about the podcast and the topics we talk about. So if you've got ideas for upcoming episodes or a question or a comment or you just want to chat with us, send us an email at ruralmatterspodcast at gmail. And I invite you to follow us on Twitter at Rural Matters uh, Pod and me, Michelle Rathman, at MRB Impact. And now let's get back to our discussion. So throughout the years, uh, Brian, you've had um, many is, is for those of us who are so fortunate to have this, some celebrity sightings. You've got some celebrity friends. And I know that um, you had somebody do a special ribbon cutting at your at your grand opening. If you could just tell us a little bit about that story. And then I want to ask you about the uh, review that you received from President Obama and how that came about. Yeah, Robert Duvall's uh, been a longtime customer of ours uh, from the earliest days of our Warrington store. He has a, a huge farm nearby. Um, he came by to do a ribbon cutting uh, when we opened three years ago on Labor Day at, at, at our new location of Marshall. Um, he doesn't cut ribbons. I had to get him a farm rope. He pulled out his pocket knife, sliced through it. I took the knife, the rope, 
told him he's never getting that back. And I put it on the wall. He signed that, um, which still stays up there. It's a great way to greet people when they come in. And he came in uh, maybe a couple months later with actor James Kahn. And they sat down and ate, uh, each had a tuna sandwich. So I was able to tell my um, John Wayne tuna sandwich story to two cowboys. So, you know, (laughs) at that point, uh, James Kahn told me, sit down and tell me more. (laughs) That, that, That was pretty, a pretty cool moment. I, outstanding. I, I, if we want to see celebrity sighting, we come out to your place. Now, tell us a little bit about how President Obama came to know your pies. Well, that, that's kind of a pinky story, but it's all related to um, our first year here in Marshall. It just took off. We were suddenly shipping thousands of things over the holidays in January after we looked at each other trying to figure out what the heck just happened. Um, I wrote a uh, letter to Obama saying, we stuck with you when you when we first opened, um, the um, Great Recession had just hit. My investors bailed. I cashed my 401k myself to make this thing work. I had a lot of faith that the new administration would uh, pull things together. And it took a while. Um, there were a lot of sleepless nights. I worried about making payroll and paying suppliers. I had been working with a lot of farmers to um, have them grow things that we wanted. We're a seasonal bakery, so everything going in our pies, for instance, comes from nearby, and it's only what's in season. You can't get a cherry pie in December at our bakery. So I never thought another thing about it uh, after I sent the letter. I know that he gets 10 letters a day put on his desk. And that was in early January. On my birthday, the day after Valentine's Day, my store manager called me and said, a guy from the White House just came in and left a big envelope for you. I said, oh, great. I'll look at it tomorrow. And, uh, and I showed up, and it was a, a nice letter from Obama about my story and just, you know, the, the faith I had in him and you know, what, what it took to, to make it a success. He loved knowing that we now had two locations and 40-something employees. But what I didn't know was who dropped it off. And finally, I got an email the next day from Cody Keenan, who is uh, Obama's chief speechwriter. And he was on his way past our bakery to uh, the Inn at Little Washington further out for Valentine's Day dinner with his fiance. Um, he says he dropped off uh, the, the envelope for three reasons. Um, one was the president liked our story. Two, the president loves pie, and I was on my way to uh, the end at Little Washington. So he, he also added that he picked up a pecan pie and took it back to uh, the Oval Office. Oh, my goodness. And I thanked him profusely, but cheekily, I also added the pie you should have got in front of him was our sweet potato <laughs> pecan pie with bourbon. And uh, he just tied back, give me a second. And then Within a minute, up pops another email with just three words. POTUS says yes. Oh, <laughs> so, my goodness. So we arranged to get that pie to him, and we were, we've been getting pies to the White House through that administration. And after he left and established a private office elsewhere in D.C., um, we handled breakfast the first morning for his new team, and we also brought his sweet potato pecan pie and a, 
an engraved silver pie server with his quote on it. I mean, did you ever imagine that that was going to be your fate uh, when you started? I I would think not. And it's just a a wonderful story that uh, really inspires entrepreneurs that anything is possible. You know, I've had, as I told you earlier, I had a chance to look through the the cookbook and the photography is just beautiful. The the pies are, are just, they almost made me cry. They're so beautiful. And they sound so delicious. Um, so what piece of advice uh, can you give to other rural entrepreneurs? You know, the, the kind of success that you are enjoying and the hard work that, you're, you know, entrepreneurs work very, very hard and may never reach that level of success. I guess it depends on how you define it. But what advice would you give to other rural entrepreneurs who aspire to have a successful business and maintain their rural roots? What are some of the tips that you can uh, offer those who are listening today? Well, I make sure that, that I play well with others. I, I, I love everybody um, and their businesses near us. They, we're all doing the same thing. We're all going through the same struggles. I promote us. I promote them on Facebook. They do the same things. I'm, I'm eating in Field and Main restaurant, taking pictures and putting them on Instagram. I mean, I, I just really try to work well with others as, as one big group, um, and, and they pay it back, and it's a very collegial group. We, um, I wanted to give back to some of our producers that are nearby. Um, I wanted, I definitely wanted to do something with moonshine. There's a guy that became the first legal moonshiner in the state of Virginia. And I, I think actually in the country. Wow. And so I came up with a chocolate moonshine cake. And now we have another version as well with lemon and blueberries. But uh, he's from the next town over. We get, we use his shine. I, I use, um, Amaretto from uh, a distillery in Middleburg, just north of us. Um, I, I try to incorporate as much local produce and other ingredients as possible. Um, everything, all our apples, all our peaches, they're all coming from right near us. We're, we're so lucky to be in the Shenandoah Valley or just, just on the edge of it. And, and a lot of it comes from there. Um, I've been working with this, this guy um, who has a um, sorghum business. and. Sorghum is kind of the new southern honey, although it's old, old, old. But it's it's been rediscovered, and my cookbook's full of recipes with sorghum. And um, as the cookbook photography was underway, I called him up and said, "Hey, I want to meet you for the first time because everything's arrived via UPS." And he says, "Come on out," and sent me his address. And I drove up with a photographer and a couple other food friends. And suddenly we were in this Mennonite town and we were in the middle of a dirt driveway next to a barn with some horse and buggies and Google and MapQuest were way off. And so I called the guy and he says, I'm looking right at you. I'm in the house. And out came this Mennonite (laughs) family and they were with all their kids and they were really shy until we got out and, and started talking and I brought some food with me and, you know, I, I never would have dreamed that it was this a Mennonite family I was getting the sorghum from, but it was it was the warmest, most joyous moment I think of of building this cookbook was meeting them, and then one of the people I was with, uh, my my friend named Elaine, uh, who backed some of the distilleries closer to D.C., arranged to give them some bourbon soaked barrels that they could age their sorghum in, and. That took off, and now some of DC's best restaurants and bars are using that. So it's it just 
you know, you, you take care of others and it just comes back. And it was, it just turned into this great big, big event where, you know, we were so supportive of them and they turned out to be the best people in the world. And I really miss them. It's a wonderful story. You know, I, we, um, I work with all 50 state offices of rural health and we have a saying, which is, you know, celebrating the power of rural and uh, in our view, the power of rural really is about collaboration and, uh, you know, innovation exists all over rural America and you are a prime example um, of how that's working. So I, I just, on behalf of those of us who work uh, on, on behalf of 60 million rural people across this country, what you're doing is just such a, a wonderful thing and what a wonderful way for you to, after 50, there is life for those, you know, for those who are wondering and what a life that you are living. What is next for, I mean, you've got this book coming out. Um, are you going to be doing any um, book signings, book tours? My head is about to explode as I'm trying to plan all these events out. Um, I'm kind of doing it myself. We were lucky to get probably the best food publisher in the country, Clarkson Potter, Penguin Random House. It's just been so great. They got a great marketing team and I'm, I'm kind of setting up events at, at little places that I really like through the years. Um, and so, yeah, it's on our website under cookbook at redtruckbakery.com. Uh, I keep adding to it every day. We just uh, added some events in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, we're going to be in Oxford, Mississippi. Uh, and just, you know, throughout the South, there um, originally there was going to be a nice picture of a cake on the cover or a pie. And that's, I, that's really the last thing I wanted. I kind of wanted to celebrate us working with our rural, rural partners. And I wanted the red truck. And at the last minute, I thought we should take that truck to this apple orchard near us. And it was perfect. It was late September, early October. Uh, apples were falling all over the place. And we loaded up the back of the truck with big crates of apples and parked the, the red truck in the middle of these long rows of, of apple trees. And bingo, everybody loved that for the cover image. And I, I was so happy because it's, I just didn't want it to look like another bakery cookbook, but I wanted it to look like a place that really supports um, our small guys that are all in this together. Yes, Brian, because you are not just another bakery. I have not been to your place. Um, I cannot wait for the opportunity to do that. I travel a lot and I'm going to make my way there. Um, I, I certainly do appreciate you are a very busy guy. I think it's you're an inspiration and I think it's important for all of our listeners to learn about thriving businesses such as yours through this forum. And um, before we close, tell our listeners how they can um, find the book. Are they going to be able to get it on the website? And if you could just let us know your your website name so we can quickly get there. We'll make sure that we publish it as well as a part of this uh, of, of this broadcast. Finish up really quickly with a, a conversation I had with a local who came in. Um, he waited 15 minutes in a long line. He walked up to me, shook my hand. He pointed at the crowd and he said, Look at all this. You, you single-handedly transformed this town and you saved Marshall. And I just thought, <laughs> well, maybe we did do something to kind of build this. And I thanked him. I said it was a lot of work, but I let him know that it was him, his family, his, my staff, and this whole long line of customers that were responsible. My hope is that other entrepreneurs such as yourself, as we promote this podcast, that they listen and they see the opportunities that exist in rural communities that are rich with tradition. And as you've been able to eloquently tell us, I mean, there is just so much opportunity to contribute in a different, meaningful way. 
um, because you are touching so so many lives that um, may not have opportunities to have a run-in with a guy like you with a, a vision and um, a very selfless attitude towards giving back. And I think that's also very admirable. Well, well thanks. And, and, and to answer your question, uh, it's all told in the Red Truck Bakery cookbook. Um, it's kind of a story of me and getting the thing going as well as some of our what, 80-something favorites are in there as well. Um, but it's uh, the Red Truck Bakery cookbook. It's uh, out on October 23rd. It's available everywhere. Um, you can order it through our website, redtruckbakery.com, and we'll um, sign it and personalize it. Um, but otherwise, it's, it's everywhere um, starting that date. Well, thank you so much, Brian. It has been truly my pleasure to speak with you. I, I don't, uh, this is something I don't get to do every day. So I'm really excited to have the conversation. I'm eager to share the book with my friends and families. I'm going to make sure that it uh, is uh, noted on our website as well. Uh, we'd like to acknowledge and thank our Rural Matters marketing partners today, including the Center for Rural Affairs, Community Hospital Corporation, Foundation for Rural Service, the Harvard Graduate School of Education Rural Educators Alliance, the Journal of Research and Rural Education, NCTA, the Rural Broadband Association, the National Rural Education Association, the National Rural Health Association, and Ohio Small and Rural Collaboratives. These partnering organizations help Rural Matters to be an even more powerful forum for the discussion of issues affecting our rural communities. Again, I'm Michelle Rathman. You can learn more about why rural matters to me at michellerathman.com. And if you would like more information about today's guest or to suggest a guest or topic, just email us again at ruralmatterspodcast at gmail. We appreciate it if you would rate this podcast on iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues about us. Rural Matters is produced by Michael Levin Epstein and Susan Simples. Thank you for listening. And we'll talk to you again next time on Rural Matters. Mm-hmm.